Hi folks and welcome to this month's edition of Plastic Grass Square. We're right at the end of 2018. We've had a pretty exciting year with some amazing guests and this month I'm really excited uh, to welcome Rich Sison from Previous Next uh, who's come to chat to us about a few things. Um, he's, you know, the good microcopy guy who you might have seen at UX Australia earlier this year. Uh, but we also had a really good chat this month about how you build a team and, and, and make teams work really well together, especially when it comes to um, blended teams of developers and designers and BAs and all of those components you need to uh, make a project work really well. Folks, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, sit back and relax. The year's nearly over. Enjoy. Richard, good morning. Morning. How are you today? Yeah, very good. Thanks for having me. Um, survived the storm apocalypse here in Sydney yesterday. Yeah, it was um, it's pretty crazy. I um, I was planning to come in, but it's just every warning from the news, from work, from everything, was just saying it's a good idea just to stay home. So yeah, I took the advice and just um, hunkered down. It was uh, it was pretty quiet around Tankstream Labs yesterday. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's um, it's it's crazy how. In Queensland, they they have like crazy problems of like a, of the complete opposite fashion, and it's just yeah, it, it was just nuts yesterday weather wise all around. It really was, it really was. So mate, uh, look, welcome to Plastic Grass Square. Um, super excited to have you uh, here as a guest and uh, learn more about uh, you as a uh, practitioner, but also the things that you're uh, passionate about. Um, let's start off with a little bit of an introduction. Hey, you're uh, at Previous Next now. How did you get there? Yeah, so I've been with Previous Next as, as the UX lead for coming up to a year now. Um, before that, I was um, basically 10 years at another agency, um, working my way up from the whole junior, midweight, senior thing. So I started my career in um, in like doing print. That's kind of where I always saw myself being um, when I started. Um, yeah, still have a soft spot for the print stuff. Mm-hmm. Like if a... Um, letterpress job makes its way onto my plate. I probably wouldn't say no, just because there's something about the tactile feeling of that stuff that um, I don't think that's ever going to go away. Like the, the 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 scale of print is probably going to go down, but I still I still really like seeing a good quality print job that's mm. um, had a good amount of care into it. Um, yeah, so. I started to get into the digital stuff when that agency started to change where their focus was. So we went into doing a lot of things for um, um, app work. So we did like when the iPad started launching and we started doing things for that for, we did a lot of work for the automotive industry. Um, No, the agency was random. I'm not sure I've actually mentioned that. Um, And yeah, like we, towards the end of my time there, we were doing a lot of, e-commerce work as well and mm. because I am experienced a lot like I, I do my fair amount of shopping online so it's something where I could relate to and um, I've always been pretty keen on doing my own copy my own writing for things like that um, but when we started getting into the e-commerce space a lot that's when I started to get really interested by the, the concept of microcopy and things like that mm-hmm. so just um yeah like i always like to create designs with enough of um a, enough of, of, of my like of my input to to do the writing just yeah. so i can communicate the ideas just um as as well as i can 
even if the, the copy changes, even if someone has um, other ideas, at least my, my idea and the direction I was going is as clear as it can be rather than, you know, leaving it aside too much to someone else's responsibilities. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is there a, uh, a frustrated writer hiding in you somewhere, mate? Or? Uh, uh, possibly. I, um, I don't know where it came from, to be honest. Like, I've always liked writing for the short form. That's mm -hmm. kind of where I'm the most comfortable. I, um, for those that know me, I like one-liners and puns and jokes. So yep. there's something about that just saying something with as few words as I need to to kind of just get some sort of a reaction yeah that sort of kind of translates into how I write for my design so I like I write I like writing headlines and just um things around that nature where it's just it's got a single purpose to do something yeah um typically don't delve into advertising copy or like marketing copy a great deal but the lines get very blurry in a lot of cases oh where, yeah especially um, when you're in digital like Oh, it's um, it's nuts. Like, um, I think a, I did a presentation recently where a lot of the questions afterwards and um, were around where when is it microcopy and when is it mar marketing copy, and it's hard for me to kind of like draw the line because sometimes it's just um, they're they're in equal parts in the yeah. same thing and they're yeah. both doing they're both serving the same goal. It's just um. Sometimes it's a feature, but it's also equally a benefit. Yes, um, and it's just it's yeah, it, it's a hard it's a hard one to answer. And I don't think I actually um, I think I probably just palmed it off and just did something very generic, <laughs> to be honest. Um, uh, delegated that, yeah. that response to someone else. Yeah. It's uh, I I I understand what you mean though. Like there is something really satisfying about being able to convey an idea in a sentence. Yeah, yeah, um, and not feeling that need to go on for a whole paragraph yeah. and. Being able to write that quite beautiful little little piece of copy and go, hey, yeah, everyone's right. going to understand this. Yeah. Um, so mate, you've you've touched on it already, and uh, you know uh, most people who know you would know you as the good microcopy guy. Yeah. Um, what tell us what what even is microcopy? Yeah. So it's I, ironically, it's something that I kind of find difficult to explain concisely. It's it's a funny thing where when I did the um the presentation, I did a presentation at UX Australia um this year, mm. and the section that I had the most trouble with was the first one where it's like I had to introduce the concept of what microcopy is and just explain it in a in, in a way. So I think I landed on just saying um, it's. Like the, the words and messages that find their ways into designs, whether it's um, apps or websites, they're, they're there to help users navigate around that experience. So it's like um, whether it's on buttons, whether it's on pop-ups, whether it's on headlines, um, supporting copy to, to core sections of the website. Um, yeah, those, the, the words and messages are microcopy. Yeah, so it's that it's not that like you know uh, I guess like kind of like we've already already alluded to it's not like that like really verbose you know instructional stuff or descriptive stuff that you know if you're say for argument's sake I was looking at a car website on mm. the way to work this morning as it happened um, uh, it's not all that really descriptive information about um, you know this is what the car does this mm. is what the engine's capable of it's the little bits that say go here do this this is what this thing means. Yeah, so typically it's the stuff that I, um, like one of the hard divides I see is like when it's doing something to encourage an action, mm -hmm. that's where microcopy is, um, that's where I kind of make the distinction. Yeah. If it's um, the content that's on the page that's there for consumption, like it's just there so someone can read 
top to bottom, like what um, what this car is about, yeah. then I'd probably just go, yeah, that's just... That's copy. That's just copy. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, that's just the content of the page of whatever the product is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like the, sometimes it does get a little bit blurry when it's like, um, when there's a feature, then there's microcopy um, assisting it. Yeah. It's just, you yeah. know, it's um, sometimes I don't even bother with the distinction. It's just like, um, is the copy that's making it onto... Um, the the product or the website assisting the user to actually make a decision to move forward. Yeah. If that's what they need to be doing, then yeah, that's um, that's all, all fair in my books. Well, and you know, in some respects, it's a bit of a theme with a lot of aspects of design is mm. this this comfort with grey area and yeah. comfort with ambiguity. Yeah. Like you know, we obviously we we there are lots of lots of reasons to be really clearly defined about a lot of aspects of 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 design and you know, the design of digital assets or the design of physical space or any of those sorts of things. But it, and this is kind of occurring to me now as I'm opening my mouth to say it, because the people who use these, the things that we produce and the things that we design are all different, we kind of need to build in or, or allow for that ambiguity, that gray area, yeah. because different people who come to, to, whatever, to whatever the product is are going to have different expectations. They're going to have different understandings. So that little bit of grey area allows for sort of the f a bit of flex of in their experience, I guess, in a way. Yeah, of course. Like at the end of the day, like um, no matter which way you kind of divide who does what, um, if I'm understanding what you're saying, it's like the the customer will experience that experience in one go. It's like yeah. they're not going to experience it in like um, that this was done by this person or done by someone else. That it's um, yeah, they're going to experience this product or the website. As as a single as a single thing, so yeah, yeah that's yeah, it's good. yeah, awesome. yeah. I was saying, so yeah, that's why I'm like I feel, I feel like building in like I'm not even building in, but being comfortable that there is some ambiguity means that you know people don't feel forced down a path, and even though you um, do need to guide people through process yeah, sometimes, yeah. and you need to guide people through the journey of using the product. Um, you don't want them to feel like they're being railroaded, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like give them enough. Um, yeah. So I think if you're clear enough about your intent behind, like what the actions are, then that's mm. then that's perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, now I guess you know, uh, in, in implicit in the idea that you're the good microcopy guy, mm. there's obviously bad microcopy that we uh, that that can be had yeah. or written or, yeah. or created, as it were. What's the difference? So I see things in kind of like a bit of a spectrum in that regard where it's like good microcopy is when it's um, when it's helping a user make a decision mm -hmm. and they've got enough information to move forward where you're not spelling things out too much. Um, when it starts to get away from that side of the scale, like when, when it, if it's getting to the middle area, it's saying something as it is. So if, there, if an error has popped up, it's kind of just saying the error, but it's not actually giving the user... Um, a some guide to actually fix the error. Mm. So a typical one is if um, if there's a password field that requires a certain syntax or certain numbers, if they just say incorrect syntax, yeah, that's letting them know that the issue has happened. But it's not saying that they need to include some numbers, some characters, or whatever. That, when it goes into that, drives me nuts. Yeah, just to tell me what you want. Like, that's a common one. So that's yeah. kind of like um, table stakes is to let someone know that something's gone wrong. Yeah. Um, going that little bit extra, that, that next step is just letting them know what they can do to fix it. That's kind of one thing I always try to um, encourage like in, in the work that we do. Sometimes mm. you can't do it because sometimes you don't know those things exist and it's just that, that's fair. Yeah. Um, when it gets into 
below that line, where it starts to get to bad, is when it's like not clear, clearly explaining anything. Mm. Um, where it's where it doesn't even clearly communicate that something has gone wrong. And then when it goes into the, the, the furthest end of the scale, it's when it's um, guiding people into doing something they shouldn't be doing. So that's getting into dark pattern territory where it's like dark patterns are basically when a user is tricked into doing something that they're not expecting, like with yeah, they weren't expecting that to happen basically. Mm, mm. And microcopy is a, it's a common one in dark patterns because People, when they're using an app, or a product, service, whatever it is, they they trust you the first time around. Of course, yeah. So yeah. it's like if there's a button that says um, something, like um, check this box to to do something, they're going to assume that's what's going to happen. Yeah. And a lot of times, people are autopiloting something. So it's like if there's a an uh, typically check boxes will opt in for something. So if there's a checkbox below, like just if you're buying something and it's just before the um, confirm purchase button at mm. the very end of the flow, um, typically there's going to be something where it says click here to opt into promotional material. Of course. If And people aren't going to read every line. They're just going to skim it a, a lot of the time. Yeah, so yeah. if um, the behavior of that checkbox switches to say um, check this box to opt out, a lot of people will get confused expecting the opposite because that's just what the standard is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and no one will really admit to to saying that they're doing it to to trick people. But yeah. It's um, it's a strategy that that the people will some companies will employ to you know to drive up um, subscriptions or something like that. Mm-hmm. And while the while the effects while the results might be positive, it's questionable that how the customers will feel signing up for something when they expected the opposite. Yes. Because I've signed up for a lot of things where it's like, um, I don't remember signing up for um, this deal, that deal, um, and that's that's a bit frustrating for me. Yep. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a similar thing where it's, um, I think you just need to re- be really clear about what's happening because... Um, at the end of the day, it's um, trust lost when when someone feels that they've been tricked into something. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially when there's something like, um, you know, sending a sending a newsletter every second day to your inbox about promotions that don't really interest you. Yeah, and have have no relevance. Yeah, yeah, and it is like there is, I guess, there is that that, that kind of phase that we go through with online with an online purchase where. We have an end goal in mind, mm. and that is to buy a thing. Yeah. Once the things in the in our in our shopping cart, you kind of switch off. Yeah. Like you're not really paying any attention to what's going on until you get to the end bit where you've got to choose how you're going to pay. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I just want my shoes, man. Let me buy my shoes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just want coffee beans. Send me coffee beans. That's all I need. Um, so, I mean, I guess uh, you've something you've already mentioned, which is is about dark patterns, and and you. Pretty clearly define what they are. Like yeah. you know, they're it's it's tricking a user into doing something that they don't really want or don't yeah. really expect. A lot of them are out there too. Like there's some some big ones. Um, like the example that I'm most familiar familiar with at the moment is the Evernote subscription cancelling oh, process. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah. I've spoken to a few people about that. That also made its way into the presentation. Um, yeah. So the cancel subscription process was 
it it's difficult and it's um it's not just micro copy that's kind of doing uh, a bad thing there it's kind of everything the whole flow is um is trying to prevent you from completing that action and yeah. that's um I love Evernote. It's like one of my. I've been like a, a long time user um, of them, so it's it's a great product. But it's um, it's just one of those things where sometimes there's going to be a team that has certain goals in mind, and for one way, like one way or another, that's just the solution they ended up with. Yeah. And um, from an overall experience, it's just it's a it's a sour way to kind of like to 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 finish off that relationship. Yes, yeah, like, yeah. Because I just, um, I couldn't justify spending whatever it is now, I think it's $90 a year on mm. a subscription for something that I use very, um, a lot, but casually. I don't, yeah, I yeah. don't benefit from their premium needs. So I just tried to cancel. And it's, it's a really difficult process, like something that I had to actually Google my way out of. And it's um, something like that just really, it should be as easy as... Um, I don't know, like cancelling a Spotify account. I've done, oh. that, I've done that a few times. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, even Foxtel Now. Like, um, there's very few shows that I want to watch on Foxtel Now. So, like, if there's something that's coming up to a season, I'll sign up for it and I'll yeah. unsubscribe. I don't even remember what the flow's like. That's how easy it is. Like, and that's what it should be. It's not a. Um, it's not something you want to be your memorable experience. No. Um, and and I mean, <laughs> like you know, with those, you you know that it's easy to jump in and out, which is why you continue to do it. Exactly. Because you know the, they've made it so simple. Yeah. Um, and while you know, like I guess. I, I understand that customer retention is important yeah. and certainly um, having, you know, a, you know, I, I know for telcos, for example, um, quite some time ago now, they realized that they didn't, couldn't just have customer service agents, they needed to have a specific customer retention team that yeah. tried to, you know, engage that customer that was threatening to leave or wanted to leave or was talking about mm. churning or whatever it might be. Um, so I, I understand why a business wants to have some measure of customer retention, yeah. but building it into a pattern mm. that frustrates you on the way out is probably not the way to do it. Yeah, no, like it's, um, if they were to look at it and, and experience it the way a customer actually experienced it, mm. I, I think they would probably at least rethink it and um, give it a bit more consideration to, to the touch points that are being put in place um, rather than just, um, just yeah, put it, like measuring it by, by the results. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's hard to say what's happening behind closed doors and I don't believe that any of these teams have bad intent. So I don't think I don't no. feel they're bad people. It's just sometimes they've got to make decisions because their goals are a certain way that they, they're required to to do it a certain way and it's just um yeah it's a shame that that's that's the reality for some people mm, so i don't mm. like to um yeah i don't like to speak to like ill of of teams about like, oh no like it's just um but when i'm just spit when the way i experienced it was just terrible yeah yeah i've had similar things with um adobe's cancel process as well where oh. i'm not sure if you need to still do this but i had to um contact their support team to cancel it it's not a self-serve yeah process. yeah it's just yeah. Well, and again, that's driving you into their into their retention processes, yeah. which, like I say, you know, I understand why, mm. but when you're using a digital product in particular, that doesn't has never required you to 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 be in touch with a salesperson or yeah. has never required you to pick up the phone and talk to someone to buy the product, then you shouldn't need to. That shouldn't be a step in stopping to use the product, as it yeah. were. Yeah, of course. Mm. 
Um, so talking about dark patterns, you know, um, we kind of know what they are, like, like we're saying there, what, you know, those, the patterns where a, a, a customer is basically forced into a choice that they don't really want to make. Um, of bad microcopy obviously plays a role. And um, I guess what I'm, what I'm thinking about is, you know, you mentioned sort of that spectrum of good to sort of frustrating to bad with, with dark patterns probably being right at the end there. Yeah, yeah. Do, is microcopy the facilitator of dark patterns or do dark patterns, are they just? I think dark patterns are just more of a category of design patterns that really gear users to do something that, they, that they're not aware of. So mm-hmm. uh, microcopy is, yeah, like I said, it, it's, a, it's a common one because words are open to misinterpretation, especially if you phrase something in a certain way. Mm. Um, but yeah, dark patterns can be anything from just um, if the primary button is made um, nice and big and green, but it's actually something that primary action tricks the user into thinking that they're going to go to the next step but actually right. cancel something. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, that's, that's a dark pattern, which if the copy that's on there is also misleading, it's really just assisting the fact that the hierarchy is just not in, in sync with, what the, with the customer's expectations. Yes. So I think a lot of it comes down to just, yeah, um, the way it's set up, if the customer expects certain things, just based off like certain established patterns that design uh, that it, that make their say, uh, make their way into designs mm, mm. if a customer is experiencing that and they're expecting certain things just based off like how apps typically are yeah. like um buttons are here like um, words are here it's like yeah that's what um that's what they'll expect and if they expect something to happen and the opposite happens or something unexpected happens then that's that's typically where dark patterns come into yeah it, yeah you know? so I guess, yeah, so microcopy can play a role. Oh, yeah. Uh, and badly written microcopy can play a role, but they're, they're, they're not necessarily a part of dark patterns. Dark no, patterns like are, it's, um, yeah, are not, bad enough already. Almost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, um, they, they can help, they can help uh, dark patterns make their way into, into worse situations, but yeah. It's, yeah, they're, they're not the only... They're, they're not the only yeah, yeah. part of it. So, I mean, I, th- I guess thinking um, about about you know the design community and, and um, experienced design practitioners in particular, why should they care? Why what does what you know? There's a lot of things that they that are that you know as design practitioners we have to deal with. There's a lot of components to designs when we're when we're building them yeah. for our clients. Um, why um, what why care about microcopy? Isn't copy some like somebody else's problem? Yeah. So this is a funny one where I've always. I came up through somewhat traditional roots with design where it's like copy and writing was something that was, it was encouraged by the people that taught me how to design. So I've always found it the responsibility of the designer to be able to, to write their own stuff for their designs and not just like um, the, the, the opposite of the scale, it's just putting Greek text in there. So the, oh, Laura the Mibson. Mibson. I wish it would go this. away. Yeah, so I've always been... I've always been pretty pretty passionate about writing for my own stuff. Yeah. Just to, to the point where it's not professional. Like, um, full disclosure, I don't do UX writing or microcopy full time. Mm-hmm. It's um, something that I have a, a lot of interest in, which is why yeah. I write about it and blog about it. And I, I write as well as I can write. And I write for the situations that I can 
um, preempt and mm-hmm. things like that. And that's kind of enough for me. Like I think designers have a lot of skills where, you know, there's, <laughs> I think there are some, some blog articles going around where designers should, or should designers write, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And um, it's actually one of the ones that I feel the most passionate about that I think designers should be able to write at least to some degree to get their, to get their ideas across. Because at the end of the day, design is about communication. And I yeah. think words in your designs, are, it's so, so critical to be able to communicate something that you want. Yeah. Um, so if you were to replace every bit of copy with something generic because you don't want to have any skin in the game, it just really cuts cuts a lot out of your your concept and the direction that you're pushing. If you don't um, even have an opinion of what the idea is driving it. Yeah. So yeah, like I think um, yeah, I think I think it's a pretty important thing to at least consider the the copy and its impacts to the over, overall experience. Mm. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, word, you know, words are a super powerful part of of any experience that we have. Yeah, definitely. And um, it, it seems that you know um, a little crazy to me that anyone who's, who's designing something would want to divest themselves of, of owning that part of the experience and being able to um, convey their idea and convey that bit of themselves. Because, yeah. I mean, we, you know, everything we design and build always has a little bit of ourselves in it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it seems like a really, to me at least anyway, like a pretty simple way to actually leave a part of yourself behind so that, so that you know, when the user comes along, they feel like, this thing was built by another human. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, like, I don't like to rest on defaults. I don't like to... No. Um, like, sometimes you just don't... It's the, it's not something that warrants overthinking. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the times, it's... Yeah, like you said, it's just... It's injecting a little bit of, like, a, a character and human experience where, where appropriate. Sometimes it's just... You need to really be concise and, you know, for, like, a better word, dry. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think it's, it, it's definitely a good idea to to put something in there. Mm. Um, and if for nothing else, it's a conversation point to your team and the ones that are around you. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing that I'm I'm big on collaboration with my team, just in, in all aspects. So I've taught myself how to code enough just so I can be a little bit more literate with my de- developers around certain concepts and just yeah. know what's out there. So collaboration's a, a big deal for me and just like being able to write something with enough intent and um, drive behind it gets people closer to what you had in mind to see if you are at least aligned in the same direction. Mm. Because then if something that you're putting out there has some fundamental um, conflict with someone else, then at least it's not something that you've left too late in the process where yeah, you're going yeah. like, yeah, let's worry about the copy later um, altogether. Yeah. So things like that is it's a helpful thing to be able to write um, to write copy well enough to communicate your intent, so at least people can see where your heads at. Yeah. yeah. Um, just something you mentioned there about um, you know being able to code just enough to be dangerous by yeah. the sounds of things. Yeah. Just, um, yeah. <laughs> I uh, you know like I I know that something we talk that gets talked about a lot in the design community is is building multidisciplinary teams and like you know making sure that you know, kind of everyone's together as much as possible and you have your product owner and your BAs and your designers and your visual designers and your devs and all those kind of people living together. But I wonder if um, uh, multidisciplinary teams are not enough. 
do should teams perhaps or should organisations or, or agencies be thinking about cross-disciplinary teams and you know providing that opportunity for for mentoring and development within teams so that designers can code a little bit so that coders know how design works a little bit so that you know there is some, kind of that understanding of the and 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 unsurprisingly empathy with how your colleagues work and how your colleagues think so that the team can be um, better more cohesive and produce a more cohesive product yeah no i'm i'm big on that as well i think there's the concept of the the T-shaped designer, mm -hmm. and I, I like to kind of, it's uh, to me it's not just about T-shaped design, it's about T-shaped teams. Yeah. So it's like everyone's going to need to have a specialty in some area when you're in a cross-disciplinary team. Yep. Because um, I, I, I agree with that phrase as well, that it's, um, that, that's how, that's how I see it as well. Yeah. Um, but I, I think having, if everyone on the team has enough of an understanding of the people around them, what they do, what they bring to the table, the, and the value that they bring, and the expertise they bring, it just there's there's respect that comes into the overall workflow. Yeah. That it's like people understand the decisions that people make and the reason why they they feel strongly about something. So if the designer says something about um, the direction of a product product going a certain way, because that's that's the way that they want to. That want the customer to experience it, mm. then if the the other team members in that in that function understand like at least at least where they where where everyone's going, yep. it just makes it easier to like to work forward together in the same direction because yeah. then developers can understand what like what the end goal is, um, and just whoever else in the team can help facilitate that discussion. Well, and I, I guess it's also not not even just about you know everyone understanding the end goal that you're trying to achieve, yeah. but understanding where the ideas are coming from and oh, what what the framework is that each team member has to come up with their ideas and what framework they're kind of basing it in. So, you know, I, I know I always find it easier regardless of what the situation is, whether it's you know when we're in design sprints or you know um, when I'm playing team sport or whatever it yeah. might be. If I know. If you know more about the the framework, the thinking framework that your colleagues are using, it's kind of easier. It's easier to understand how they're coming up with the with with their ideas, and their ideas don't seem as random then either. I, I think at least anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you understand the background and context. Context is a big thing. Oh yeah. It's understanding understanding where people are coming from and where they intend to be going. It just makes it like the. The, the thing that I find funny is like you realize that there's a lot more overlap than you than you think yes. just because you're kind of coming at it at a different angle yeah there's you've got a lot like most times you've got like the same goal in mind um, but it's just you're coming from different points of view yeah and it's um, one thing I like to focus on in my workshops when I'm starting up a project is that element of alignment just making sure that you're just see how far off you are from each other, because sometimes you are really far off. Mm. But if you if you put everything out on the table and you're like, this is where my head's at, this is what I understand of the the project context and where everyone's coming from, and then with everyone in the same room, you can at least kind of get get collective understanding on like what are the priorities and where where does this thing need to go? Yeah. And what can we do? No matter where we're coming from, how can we push forward in the same direction? Yeah, um, because at the end of the day, it's like it's all about teamwork, and it's just like it's 
that's a big deal for me just to make sure that everyone's on the same page and like yeah. at least pushing towards in the same direction. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, you don't you don't want teams to be a combative environment. Oh, you yes. want like you want the the um, for one of a better term, you know, you want the cut and thrust of ideas and and the um, the. Um, conflict of ideas for one of a you know like and not not conflict in terms of like arguing and finger pointing but just yeah. like the way that ideas once you start to listen to how someone else thinks and that spurs that can really spur you on but you don't want the team itself to be a, a conflictive environment um, where because you don't understand someone's ideas you start to have personality yeah, issues yeah yeah like it's um it's uh it's a bit of friction that that's just not really can really kill a project. And yeah. like projects live and die by the momentum that that project team has. And yep. it's like the more aligned people are, the more they can productively move together. Even if people don't agree with every decision being made, if they understand the greater purpose, they'll understand how to feed into that. And yeah. like they can collectively know where the trade-offs are. Yep. Even if there's something that's you're going in a certain direction and you can't do everything as you, as you see it, if everyone understands what um, what's the give and take to get to that point, and everyone has equal stake in the game to, to you know to get to that point, yep. you know it's 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 a win in my books in terms of any process. Like it's 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 really difficult to to get everyone in the same place oh, and to move course. in the same direction for a month, two months, three months, yeah, and be on the same page. Yep. It's um so yeah, like I, I give credit to people that can like it can rally a team. For, for that period yeah, of time. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a hard thing to do. <laughs> well, and I mean, it, it is a hard thing to do. And I think the, you know, from a from a business standpoint, the other the other factor to think about is that if you if you can get a team to work like that, they're incredibly efficient. Oh, definitely. They get more work done. The quality of their output is higher. Um, and they want to work together again. Like yeah. they, you know, you can, you can, you can build a group within your business that you know that you can just pick up and deploy into any project, and they're gonna they're gonna eat it up and enjoy every second of it because they enjoy being together, they yeah. enjoy thinking together, and they enjoy producing something together, even though they have different ideas and different experience to bring to it. Yeah, and the conversations are more productive. The conversations are, you know, it's it's probably heavy up front because there's a lot yes. of knowledge transfer. Oh yeah. But then as the project goes, the the people as people start to peel away on the project. Um, People just understand how the other person would think, even if they're not there, because everyone knows the overall goal behind it. Yeah. They don't need to check in with the designer or the developer or the product owner, whoever it is, every single time a decision needs to be made. Yep. They know the greater purpose and it's like, even if they just say an FYI to the person, just so this is where we're going with this, at least there's not an hour discussion all the time yes. to kind of talk about something mundane. And like yeah, that's, yeah. that's what I love about once a project is in flow, um, that people just have, people know what's going on and know where to go. Yeah. Um, and you can make decisions on your behalf and loop you in if it's something a little bit too great. Yeah. yeah. That's fun. When once, that project, once projects start running like that, yeah, that's super yeah. fun. Like I'm really keen on the, the very start where there's a lot of knowledge transfer because yeah. I, I like to be able to communicate the overall idea of something to my, like usually it's my development team. Like I'm, I'm really big on that part of the process. The design to development process. Yeah. Like I invest a lot in, in what that looks like. Mm. Um, but yeah, like it's, 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 I, what I like to see, like after that first initial handoff of just some core documents, I don't give everything up front. I give some of the, 
fundamental things to go, this is how this is going to behave and this is going to be a consistent pattern that's going to be throughout the whole process. Yeah. Um, so like when it comes to responsive design, um, I don't give responsive design, like um, responsive um, like designed per device for yeah. every single screen of the flow. I'll usually just give the most complicated one and yep. kind of transfer that learning to see how it applies to the rest of them and design in between when it needs to. If there's something that's really bespoke that I need to design for in a different context that they can't just interpret by themselves. But yeah, yeah. Typically, navigations are always confusing. Yeah. Footers are always surprisingly confusing. Um, that is a surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's because it's like there's so many like little moving parts, oh, and it's like yeah, um, the links. Where do the links go? Do we have more information here? Yes. Like it's, yeah. All those little decisions they can't just t pick up and run with. Yeah, yeah. Because it's just a navigation and a footer. There's only one of them typically on a website and it's just it's going to be something that's handled by itself anyway yeah so you yeah. may as well just kind of give as much as you can for, for yeah of course, it's, of um, course. Yeah, it's a funny one that way yeah yeah um and so uh returning to microcopy for a moment yeah. um uh, a slight tangent there man <laughs> what are we going to do um what what are there some basic principles that design practitioners can apply uh, to avoid bad microcopy or is there like do you have like a little list of things that you check off or anything like that or i wrote an article about this a couple of years ago so i probably should know them more off the top of my head i think for the sake we'll, of i'll the link the article in the show notes to, yeah, help, sure. to help you out and also to help our listeners out but yeah, yeah. so with regards to this stuff i i kind of i don't go through a checklist of things as i'm kind of writing microcopy i kind of think of um I approach design a lot of a lot of ways just with like thematically, just like with overall concepts or themes to know how I want to approach something. So in the article, the big overall theme was about um, momentum. Mm -hmm. So just being able to kind of get the user to just keep going. Like it, the thing, the, the idea I like about momentum is like it can be slow, it can be fast, but it, as long as they're moving in a certain path, like sometimes it warrants them slowing down. Yep. But as long as they're still moving forward and not backwards, yeah. Um, I like that idea in mind when I'm going. So when they're at this point, do we need to give them a little bit of a nudge? So like, is there a little bit of a friction point here where we just need to give them, you know, not a hard push through the door, no, no. just a little bit of, they just need to know that they can return this thing if they want to. Yeah, it's like yeah. free returns, it's like something like that. Yeah. Um, but for the sake of the presentation, I, th I thought the concept of momentum would have been a bit too abstract. Yeah. So um, providing context and setting expectations were the two themes that I kind of like made that a little bit more like easy to understand. So when I'm writing copy for anything, mm. um, typically, like depending on what the context is, it's kind of like it, it kind of changes, but I like to make sure that the user knows where they are. So right, like, yeah, yeah. if something's happened, um, um, are they offline? Are they um, have they is have they been sent an email or something like that? If you can let them know what's happened or what's relevant right now, that's kind of the first part around providing context. So just yeah. like just enough information to get them to get them going, so they know what what they're looking at, um, and then setting expectations is just 
It's saving them a click because it's like often there's a lot of anxiety around what's going to happen when they press a button or when they mm. do something. So are they going to be charged every month? Or are they going to get charged up front? Or are they going to, um, yeah, what is it going to get sent to my inbox or I'm going to be able to download it right now? Things like that is, um, it's, that's really important for me just to know if there's any questions that you're aware of mm -hmm. like that, that could be um, friction points for a user. Um, I like to make sure that that's up front um, so they know what's going to happen. So mm. generally, they're the two main ones that I will kind of always think about um, when I'm producing writing for any of my designs, just like make sure that the, the button labels are clear enough to know, you know, what's going to happen after they make an action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What does this thing do? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. sometimes it can be really confusing, especially when you're in, when it's... When you're in the product, when you're living and breathing the product, yeah, yeah, um, you already know what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen because you've yeah. put the, you've designed the flow. But it's yeah. like a lot of times, there's um, if people are coming from it with zero context and and with less than ideal attention at the at the given time, you need to make sure that like everything's as clear as it can be. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's kind of like a, a starting point. I like to encourage designers to to be at that. Just it's not going to be perfect. Like mm. best practices are just just that. The yes. kind of best practices around someone's perspective given their context. So just, yeah, I, it's hard to get it right, but as long as you've got the right intention behind it, I think that's a, it's a good place to start. Well, and yeah, if you're, exactly. If, you're, if your intention is headed in the right direction, you're probably gonna get it pretty right. Yeah. Like, in, yeah. for, for a lot of cases, and if, if nothing else, it's going to be better than the default. Yes. And even if it even if it's worse, if it's somehow worse, at least it's something that has got a reaction that you know how to look at again. Yeah, yeah. It's like okay, so this demographic or my customers don't relate to that language. Yeah, so yeah. we just need to make sure that we're either reverting to defaults and that's our baseline of something that they expect. Mm -hmm. And let's not mess around with that too much. But at least um, at least something, at least something that you're having a crack at. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like, that's that's what I like to encourage. Is it's not, yeah. If the defaults are there, challenge them when you feel it's appropriate to to challenge them. Um, you know, provided there's enough data to kind of like, there's got to be something behind it that's driving of driving that as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, whether that's through in-person interviews or something like that. Um, yeah. Try to always support things with some sort of data, so it's not just kind of like off the cuff everything because yeah, it's yeah. hard to justify anything to be honest yeah well yeah and so um thinking so i mean we're talking about about practitioners who've been in the uh in the in the business for a while but um folks who are new to the industry what, what would you tell what, what advice would you give them is there is there something that as you came through print and uh and web production and website design into mm. uh ux lead is there something you wish you'd known earlier or um, something you wish someone had told you or? Yeah, it's a, it's a funny one. Like, because how I started, there's always been a respect for the written word in mm. my design. So um, for someone starting out and they notice it and they're somewhat interested in it, I can't recommend anything more than just trying it out. Yeah. Trying it out when the when the stakes are relatively low. Yeah. Um, and it's going to, the opportunity will differ based off the, the company that that design is in. Of course, whether yeah. Whether it's some, something, whether they're in a place that um, um, 
sets up that opportunity to be able to tinker with that stuff. Sometimes yeah. if you're in a really big company, something as small as a button label is, you can't change that every other day, for no. example. No, no, no. Um, so I, I understand that. Um, but it's, yeah, I suppose it's just keeping an eye out and just um, seeing where, like, if you feel something is ambiguous or if you feel there's, there's room for improvement somewhere, make a case for it and try to, what would you do? Like, what would you, what is, what about it is confusing? Mm. And um, just try it out and, and just, um, if it needs to go through teams, just speak to your team about it and at least everyone's going to challenge the defaults. And I think that's, um, that's, that's healthy for, for teams as long as, yes. as long as there's the right, um, the right idea behind it and the, the right conversations that come from it. I think it's healthy for teams to always make sure that they're looking at the things um, that often get overlooked, to be honest. Like um, microcopy and just text in general is something that it it's probably one of the most common things that falls to autopilot yeah. for design teams. Because I do it as well. Like when there's something that just doesn't require my attention right now, I'll revert to something that it's kind of like generic just so it's there. Um, if I know that I want to do something later, I'll put some weird symbol so I know that that's actually. But you've got to come back to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, a lot of the times, you just projects are projects. You kind of just need to put uh, invest your energy where they kind of matter the most of the time. Yeah. The thing is, sometimes like when it comes to copy, sometimes those things that just kind of like don't warrant attention at the time stay that way for the whole project. Yes. It happens to me all the time. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, that's completely fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Um, so let's imagine ourselves a utopia, Rich. Yes, I am imagining. Yes, so good. Very good. <laughs> you have fixed all of the microcopy problems in the world. Ah, uh, utopia. Yeah, sounds good, doesn't it? Um, what What would you What would you move on to next? Like, what What's What do you see that there's another big issue that fa- that you know is, is facing us as, as designers? Um, is there something else that frustrates you that you wish someone would do something about? Um, yeah, it's sort of like when I started really focusing on on microcopy and just writing things like that. It sort of got me into this place of, um, for lack of a better term, just collaboration and team workflow. That's something I'm really passionate about at the moment. Yeah, like I always had that with my you know in the previous agency. Um, I really enjoyed working with my developers around things, just around just concepts, just trying to to just kind of like plug the holes with certain things so everyone mm. they could see where I was going with the design so they weren't just doing stuff because I said to do it. Yep. They actually had an opinion about whether it's the right thing to do, the wrong thing to do, um, whether they found something confusing in the design. The pushback is what I like and the pushback is collaboration to me. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of gotten into a broader area like um, I'm doing a lot more workshop facilitation now where I'm meeting mm-hmm. different clients in different um different industries and it's like something when I was doing e-commerce for a while the the workshops that we could have and just the discussions we had were always in the funnel of e-commerce so it was easy for me to control the discussion around the the parameters of what we were playing in yep but now like the workshops are in the the broader because they're in that's with subject matter that I've got nothing I got I don't have any grounding on yeah yeah so it's um it's been an interesting thing there where um, a big part of my focus now is collaboration from a, a broader perspective to, you know, it started just to, to give me a leg up. Yeah. So I understand just, you know, 
I've got a bit more surface knowledge on what where what this thing is, um, where the project came from, and why it's important now. Yeah, it's probably, yeah. is a big question that I always ask. Um, but yeah, like I think collaboration and more specifically alignment and things like that is something where I've been that that's where my attention has been a lot for the past um, for the past year. Mm-hmm. Just because it's, I found that. Now that I'm in something where I don't have the the safety net of e-commerce as an industry, it's I found that it's something that I have forgotten that it's like ah, oh, these problems are really different, and yeah. I need to kind of like I need to approach them in a way that I need to learn the special things about this industry and be able to know where the trade-offs are and as a team move forward with like. Um, just compromise and yeah. knowing yeah i think compromise is a big a big deal like with any project because you can't deliver everything perfectly so you need to know no yeah you can't i mean you you could but the project will take forever yeah <laughs> you provided, have to stop at yeah, some point provided everyone has the momentum for that the whole exactly thing well. yes like, yeah it's, um, yeah, yeah it, it's, it's a funny thing that way yeah so um right it's it's late november it's like what is it the 29th or something today i think um, is that what you're looking forward to most in 2019? Like more collaboration, team alignment, as well as stake, stakeholder alignment? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to more buzzwords making their way into the industry in 2019 yes. and more JavaScript frameworks and um, <laughs> designers should do X things. Yeah, um, but more, I guess more seriously, yeah, like I think collaboration's been is something that it's, I am really into it at the moment. Yeah, and yeah. It's something that like, um, beyond just designer developer relationships, it's something that I'm that I still am very passionate about. Like I'm very into the tools that are coming out. Yeah, there's a, the the next wave of like tools that are coming out that are, you know, to to me at the moment I'm a sketch user, so I've got like the sketch, Zeppelin, Abstract, Trio thing going on. Yeah, and I find there's this a gaping hole between handover of the design assets that Sketch can produce and what's in production. There's this yeah. whole behavior um, and interaction aspect that's just really underserved at the moment and there's like Framer and Framer X is kind of coming in as a tool that's meant to smooth that out a bit yep. and there's other smaller tools like Flinter which I'm really into and um, some new ones like Phase and Modules that are coming out like I I keep on top of the design tooling because there's this need that I've got that is just really underserved yeah yeah um so as far as collaboration and design and developer relationships are concerned i'm really keen to what's happening in that space because i think 2019 is going to be the year where there's going to be some significant change there because yeah. it's starting to bubble up at the moment um but beyond that i think yeah just collaboration with stakeholders and just my my broader project team yeah um being able to put enough process around that that things can be structured enough that they know that like, they've got investment in the project and they um, they get their hands dirty like there's nothing more that, like I get a lot of satisfaction when I'm working with a client yep and they get in the weeds with us yes um, and you know because they need we need their expertise to kind of push things further and when they have enough alignment on everything and where we're going their their expertise usually comes in at the just the, the, the moments where you need them yeah um just to unblock you to give context on certain certain things just provide extra information about the the context that this product is solving just to be able to push forward yeah um 
And that's something that like once you've got that relationship with your with your client, um, when you're working through projects, it's just it's a fantastic thing. Like yeah. and it's just you get there's a lot of just um, workflow and momentum gains you just get from that. It's like oh, you you look forward to the communications and meetups that you've got with your with your you know client side team as yeah, well. It's yeah, like yeah. this is where we are. And you know, even if it's off, even if it's not exactly what they had in mind. If you kind of have something as an intermediary step between where you started and where you were going, at least people know where, like, are we close to it? Are yep. we not close and why? And yes, exactly. I was going to say the why, yeah. why, why it's happened and how you've gotten there. Yeah, and yeah. I, I love that. Like, it's, yeah. um, you know, it, just the communication you've got with, with, your, with your broader team is just, um, it's, it's fundamental to just, like, to get the project over the line. Definitely, yes. Yeah. And yeah. in the right way and every, with everyone's um, ideas on board. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Mate, one last question. Uh, This is a a tough one. Yes. Uh, Do you prefer soft serve or gelato? Soft serve or gelato? I am going to have to go all in on gelato, to be honest. Really? Yeah. Excellent. uh, It's just... I don't know. I've never really been the biggest fan of the thirty cent cone, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, is it, is it sixty cents now? I, uh, who, I don't. Even, I don't even know. I haven't got a seniors card. I should ring my, ring my dad and ask him. He'll know. Um, anyone in particular? Like, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of Riverino. They're they're probably my favourites. But um, um, does Messina count as gelato? Well, they say it's gelato. Then they, I will have to say Messina. Okay, uh, cool. I'm quite partial to the coconut and lychee. It's the Ooh. one my, my go-to every nice. time. Um, yeah, so I have to say all in and gelato. Excellent. Rich, thanks very much for your time today. Thanks for having me. Um, it was a pleasure. Yeah. Chat soon? Yes, we will. Thanks again, Richard. Uh, really glad you're able to join us this month to have a chat about microcopy and uh, building effective teams. Uh, really uh, interesting stuff there, and plenty for us to think about as we move forward into 2019. Next month, folks, we will have Marla Middleman from BCG Digital Ventures. A uh, little bit of a recap of what's happened in 2018, what uh, we're looking forward to in the future of 2019. Uh, should be a really interesting episode. Please don't forget to rate and review Plastic Grass Square wherever you listen to us. Um, It really helps with our profile. Um, Thank you again for listening this month and uh, hopefully we'll see you all again very soon. Bye, folks.